Hello, and welcome to the final episode in our first series of Natter and Naw. This podcast is hosted by Clarion Call, and Clarion Call's whole ambition is to get behind people who are trying to work together for meaningful change that follows a community's call to action. I'd like to start today by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the many lands that we're meeting on today and pay our respects to elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. I'd also like to acknowledge that all of our work is strengthened by listening to the voices of our First Nations people and carrying their wisdom and practices into the work as we go forward. My name is Jennifer Chaplin, and I'm here with Sharon Fraser, and we are two of the co-founders of Clarion Call. I am joining you today from the land of the Wajat Noongar people. And in doing so, I'd like to acknowledge that sovereignty of this land was never ceded. Welcome, Sharon. Hi, Jen. It's lovely to be here and to be at the point where we can look back and reflect on our first podcast series. Normally, I joined from Jara country in central Victoria, but I'm currently in Mildura, which is the lands of the First Nations of the Milua Mallee. So I'd therefore like to acknowledge the Lachi Lachi and Bakinji people. Thanks, Sharon. As we step into that, I just thought I'd give everyone a recap of where we've been on this journey in exploring movement building for whole of community change. So we began by looking at movement building for equity. We did that with Moira Ware and Jack Beetson. We then looked at movement building for whole of community change with your lovely self, Sharon Fraser and Lisa McKenzie. We also looked at strengthening democratic processes for whole of community change with Max Hardy and myself. We looked at movement building for regeneration with Willow Burson and Kyla Brettel and movement building for systems change with Dr. Bruce McKenzie and David Lilly. Then we moved on to movement building for new economy with Dr. Anitra Nelson and Megan Burkett and movement building to strengthen democracy with Bryn Davies and Polly Cameron. Today's episode is the first of three ways that we are going, in which we're going to explore and unpack what we learned through the series. The first is today's podcast, in which we'll look at the high-level learnings and themes that have come out from the series, and we'll do that in a couple of ways that we'll explain shortly. We're then going to unpack this learning using the Clarion Framework for Collective Action and Governance, and we'll do that in a blog. And then we'll look at what all of this means for our practice and our next series in our introduction for our next series. Our structure for today is that we are going to explore what we set out to do and what we did, always an interesting journey, and really dig into some of the high-level learnings and themes that came from that. Now, as you implied there, Jennifer, sometimes what we set out to do is not exactly what we end up doing. And that was very much the case in this podcast series. Initially, we thought that we would look at all of community change and examine the nuts and bolts and how of that. What we really found, though, as we started these conversations is that really what's behind it is movement building. How do we get enough people behind a purpose so that we can actually shift something? We can actually change something in the social agenda, really. And so about halfway through the series, we did a conscious pivot where we stopped talking about whole of community change and really lent into how do we do movement building? At this point too, we, it became evident that you can't just build a movement theoretically. So we very much picked up 
issues that people are consciously building movements around. And that's when we lent very directly into things like building movements around economy, democracy, climate change, etc. So what we then did is for each of these conversations, we gathered people who are sitting in this work deeply so that they could reflect and help us learn and reflect on what is the practice for how people really do this in the real world. And that took us on a journey over about an eight-month period. Now, there's a lot we got out of that, and some of the things that we got out of it were things that we had been exposed to and, and that we were aware of in the field. And there were other things that we weren't really expecting, wasn't there, Jen? Absolutely. And then how that linked back to what we thought we was familiar and looking at that in a new light as well. So it went in a bit of a big circle, well, in a rather big circle. Mm. And where we landed when we had a chat, you know, stepped back from all of it and looked at it all and thought, what were the like the big four that we took away that we wanted to explore? Where we landed on was the in terms of what was new and had impacts on movement building as a whole and on how movements are built and held are the economics of movement building, the democracy of movement building, legitimacy in movement building, and systems thinking and being in movement building. And those are the big four that we wanted to pull apart today. Mm, Absolutely, absolutely. And I think sitting on top of that is very much that notion of to drive a movement, nobody goes into this knowing the answers or even how to get there. But people go in when movement building is successful. People seem to go in with others to learn, explore, and to understand something different together. And it was in that context, I think, that these four themes really come to the fore. So how are we getting this movement so that everybody comes together to learn, explore, and understand? Now, the first thing that you talked about, Jen, which is the economics of movement building, was quite an aha for me. I am used to working both in the work that I do directly in community as well as the work that we do in supporting communities to really explore things at times like who's the lead agency, what resources are organisations bringing to this effort, where is the money being held, Is there core funding for something like running a backbone or an independent group to help hold the change? What I really got out of this podcast series, though, was that the whole framing of economics and the way that we hold our paradigm, our mindset, the power that sits around the economics can either hold back a movement or it can support a movement. And by those economic systems, there seemed to be a theme about looking to make sure the economy of your movement suits the rhythm of your movement. So if you're tr- if we're trying to hold a movement that is whole of community, how do we hold the money at a community level? What does it look like in things like community wealth building? Does it inform our structures? So, for example, Moira Weir talks about things like having mutuals or having co-ops as the structures for holding the economic 
way that we are holding the movement. Jack Beetson talked very much about moving away from being a benefactor to a beneficiary of collective resources. And there was a whole lot of thinking about in the podcast about latent resources in the system and how those latent resources need to be named, mapped, owned and aligned early and often. What did you see, Jen? I'm thinking of, it's interesting, I was thinking about what Moira and Jack had to say as well, because Moira talked about participatory budgeting and communities deciding where the funds go. And, you know, we we often hear, oh, there are ways of doing things. And she went on to say the second half of the sentence was, there are models from this around the world. And you think, mm. you know, reinventing the wheel here. There are actually people doing this stuff. And a, a lot of people we can learn from to do it. And then Jack talked about change being achieved by investing in communities not programs and grants. And and Jack was also challenging our notion of, I believe he used the word charity. So I think there's all this sort of mindset that, that sits behind it when it comes to thinking about the investment in the, the change itself, but then the investment in the holding of that work, to your point, about how do we collect, mm. support it, and not unwillingly replicate the paradigm that we're trying to shift in the way that we Yes. Like you talked about funding the backbone, and I'm thinking about how often you know, you talked at the start about what's familiar, that how many times have we been in a room where we've said, who's hosting the next workshop? You know, how are we coming? Mm. And we're in the, like the micro of it. And the challenge I heard from, from this conversation was how do we challenge ourselves to step out of it and look at what is the paradigm we're trying to shift? And then how do we replicate that new way, the, the new economics of change, even in how we're doing that micro work? Beautiful. And it's reminding me of Dr. Anitra Nelson's and Megan Burkett's podcast where they were talking about economics. But Dr. Anitra Nelson was very much talking about non-monetary ways of resourcing the work and how do we use the social capital and the social infrastructure that exists in community to support change. And she's actually all for getting rid of money altogether and running all of capital in a very non-capitalist way. So so her, her thinking is sort of like at one end of the continuum. And then we've got the likes of Megan talking to us about, actually, we do need to hold and sit within the current economic system because there's a lot of it we can't change. And how do we make that local? How do we put control? How do we put power for that? back in the hands of the local people. You're making me think about when you're talking about the different views in the conversation that, you know, one of the themes that came up almost in every episode was that notion of the broad church of views and embracing diversity. And it isn't just around the solution itself. It's around holding the work, being in the work, you know, exploring Mm. aspects of it. And there's a lot to be said, I think, in this whole economics of movement building there's a lot to be learned and a lot to be unpacked and understood and one of the things that I really got out of the conversations too is that there is expertise that is out there in this we don't have to know it all what's important for our work in Clarion Call is to know that that is needed to know that the holding the economic holding needs to reflect the change that's being called for and to know when to call in expertise around, so what might some of those structures be? 
what might some of that economic framing look like? And it's it's a bit of an outlier if I think about the expertise that we typically call in. You and I were chatting earlier today about fields of work where there's a, a, a large resource of expertise, like the early years. And, and often it's a it's evolved to a place where it's highly accessible by community. People understand things. They know they can go read, you know, AEDC data for child development, well-being in communities. And you were speaking of what happens when we, you know, look at climate change and how there, there are areas of expertise that are held by few people where there's an opportunity to bring that into the work. But I'm thinking about how often we leave out the economic lens altogether, even when talking about how we're holding the work together. Mm, absolutely. And sometimes when we're looking at the social and we've got a whole lot of people who want to change the world socially, it's almost like the economics can be seen as a dirty word. Yeah. It's like, you know, let's not talk about the money when Moira very much talks about follow the money, understand the money. Oh, oh my gosh. You're making me think already. And with the next thing we had on the list was the democracy of movement building. So what stood out to you, Sharon, about the, the democracy conversation? Look, there's a lot of the work that we do, Jen, where we talk about decision making and who holds the decisions and how are decisions made to include a broad church of people, particularly those with lived experience. I think what this podcast series has done for me, though, is it really peeled that onion down multiple layers and really helped think about, helped, helped us all think about things like that decision making isn't only about who makes the decision, but it's about how we relate to each other, how and who participates, and how that interaction occurs before and after the decision-making point because that that deepening understanding of the relationship has a significant impact on who makes what decisions. So that was a real takeout thing for me. Absolutely. And I was thinking how often when I looked back through how many times that was mentioned, that was one of the most powerful themes, the relational piece across all of the work and making time and space to bring people together and having processes do that. I, I know at one point Lisa mentioned bringing people together to talk about anything. And Max talked about the real mindset of having collective intelligence, which to me is it's a step beyond all valuing diverse ideas and skills. It's saying actually the intelligence itself is collective, that we need all the parts to have the intelligence to, I think, as Bruce McKenzie would say, sweep in you know, intelligence of understanding into what's happening in the system continuously. And shout out to Max, who also talked about, you know, another mindset piece where he said, you know, sometimes people say, oh, if we hand over power to communities, we might get, did he say dumb ideas? And he said, oh, bad ideas only come from a dumb process. <laughs> so yes. back to all the way back to how we run the process that allows all of that space, you know, for people to come together and connect beyond the work itself. Mm, absolutely. And I think you've highlighted another key point for me too, is that this is never ending, yeah. that this the notion of working on decisions, that holding decision-making, holding the relationships, bringing new people into those relationships, seeing what relationships are needed for what part of the decision-making processes is continual and continuous and a constant question in the work. And it really, to me, deepens that notion of, you know, th th there's this idiom that people say about this work moves at the speed of trust, that it's relationship-based. 
I think a lot of what happened for me in this podcast series was that people unpack what that really means in the real world. You know, that it means how, who knows who about what and who has respect for who about what and where is the money about what. So there was a whole lot of deepening of those concepts of relationship and trust. I was thinking somebody said, you know, you need to know who influences who to get stuff done. You know, not but who who influences who and it it really challenges i mean we know that that just mapping say who's there it doesn't tell us much at all but just to hear you know the the real nuance again about the relational piece and people's connection to each other and place and their their co-agreement about what that is if you will collective agreement about the boundaries of what they're talking about whether it's issue Mm -hmm. political yeah, and one of the things talking about political that I think Polly and Bryn brought up really clearly and apart also with yourself and Max in your podcast is that whole mindset piece that sits behind decision-making and sits within our culture in Australia. Polly and Bryn specifically talked about, you know, we're used to this two-party system in Australia. Mm. We're used to that, you know, you're, you're left or you're right, you're Labor or your coalition. And and we often play that out in the social decisions that we're trying to make. We often split things into this dichotomy, whereas other cultures there might be six or seven parties and government might, might be held by a coalition, but that's very out of culture in Australia. It's interesting you say that because one of the things that stood out to me was I think it was the conversation with Kyla and Willow, where they said it's not like there's a there's a, an enemy, a good guy and a bad guy, a hero and a villain, I think they said in all of these stories. You know, it's so much more nuanced than that. And so often we step into, you know, we're trying to solve complex problems and look at what's wrong. And we've got, oh, you know, that thing is a problem. And people, you know, we go towards that in our solution identification as well in our minds, in addition to who we bring to the table, because that then that construct impacts who we engage, who who we is. And then who is engaged in the process? And and Kyla and Willow just kept talking about, you know, a coalition. Kyla said, you know, we're building a coalition of everyone. And Willow spoke about forming alliances and coalitions as well and just absolutely groups of the willing. Mm. And it so it led to another aha experience for me around this because I often work with people around, you know, you've got this shared purpose and to work towards a shared purpose, you build a shared story of change. Mm. Whereas with the way that Kyla, Willow, Nitra, Megan and Polly and Bryn were talking about, it's around, yes, we have this shared issue, this shared passion, this shared thing that we know needs shifting but we actually need to hold multiple theories or stories of change in order to address that because we don't know which story of change is right or which part of what story is actually going to shift anything. And that came out really strongly, I think, most strongly, I think, in the podcast we did with Nitra and Megan where they they both very much believe that decision-making Economic decision making needs to be done more close to communities. And they had very different theories of change around how that was going to be achieved. One was about let's throw out money, let's build a whole 
throw out capitalism, let's build a whole different way of thinking about wealth and what is of value in community that is separate from patriarchy, separate from industrialization, etc. versus actually, no, we need to sit in the current system and make it work for local. And that both of those stories need to be there or else who's to say which one is going to help shift what in the system? That relates to a real aha I had and I think sort of continuously have through the work and then forget that I had it before. And that's, <laughs> think about like how it relates to the holding of the work and the building of movements themselves. It, democracy, you talked about the, that paradigm where you could have a construct of two opposing points of view, but there's also the hierarchy. And that hierarchy of decision-making, I feel, has an impact on how we overtly and inadvertently control the work. And so that was what was amazing to me was hear people talk about just let it go, just let people try, make sure there's space for people to try things they want to try in service of purpose, the loose purpose, because otherwise we're never going to have innovation and learn about what works. And I think about how challenging that is when we're in the work and depending on who's in the room, especially if we have organizations who are funded. So everybody's coming from the same paradigm and we're using the toolkits we know, which then can unwittingly narrow the opportunities to really solve and change what's happening. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. And it's, it, I've seen it play out too in the climate space as talked about by Willow and Kyla where some people are saying actually it's zero emissions or zero net emissions depending on which school of thought you belong to. That's what we have to work towards. And others are saying actually no, what we need to do is we need to work holistically in an ecological way in order to rebuild nature and others are saying actually no we have to we have to change our entire social system and it's how do we hold all of those stories of change for the shared purpose of tackling climate change and I really it struck me as I was listening to all of these particularly the the last four where we really attach them to very complex big issues it really struck me on how how that decision-making needs to be not only diverse, but as you say, sometimes it needs to be a light touch. So we don't need to make a collective decision around this. We need to let it be that people can have a crack. They can have a go at this. They can experiment. They can be feel like they have permission to try and permission to fail if they need to. And the other thing that that really played into that as a part of the Bryn and Polly conversation for me was that not all change being called for is for the betterment <laughs> of a social outcome, which really made me think about that freedom as well. Like what's how far do we stretch that freedom when we're seeing that some of those decisions are actually looking to to be divisive, divisive or looking to be racist, etc. So for me, the whole democracy theme that was running throughout the podcast had this tension between what is free and what is controlled and what what are our biases and what where do we need to unpack our biases. 
and then what is fair and equitable and what is destructive or divisive. So really interesting, I think, dichotomies that were coming up around the environment that we're trying to build and how we're trying to make decisions for the social change. It has huge implications for how we build and hold the work together. It does. It does. The other thing that that it's making me think of too that came up in the conversation was that notion that there's strength in the system as well around decision-making and democracy and not to throw the baby out with bathwater, that there's a whole lot of really good things that are happening in how we make decisions that we can magnify as well. Absolutely, absolutely. The next thing that we looked at was legitimacy. And so that notion of democracy and decision-making flows really well into legitimacy, which is around power and authority as well. That one of the things that stood out to me in terms of what we hear, you know, we talked at the start about what was it that we came across in the podcast that was familiar, but that had broader and deeper implications. And and building on what you were saying, Lisa McKenzie was talking about, you know, whole of community isn't about everybody agreeing and having the same perspective. And you've just given us another lens on what that really looks like in the real world where we're holding all of those diverse views. And just again, reinforcing that it's a coalition of the willing. We cannot build legitimacy if we're only using the veneer of an existing system that is already not achieving the outcomes that it needs to achieve. And then making sure that we're challenging our construct of who has authority and what that authority really looks like in the early days and bringing people together to just nut things out. What what stood out to you in the legitimacy and movement building? I think the difference between legitimacy in movement building versus formal authority or legitimacy in organisational positions. One of the themes that really came across for me, and it started with the Lisa conversation, is that legitimacy, and it followed on through some of the work that David and Bruce were talking about, and that is that legitimacy comes from holding the need to do the right work rather than be right, which is how David termed it but I think the thinking was held by others as well and that legitimacy comes from doing all the time what we care about and what feels right in our gut and not having our strings pulled I think either Bruce or David said at one stage. Moira said be careful what did she say watch out for whose agenda your she had another way of saying it but basically who are you whose work are you really doing? And Lisa very much talked about, you know, that holding the true and genuine role as community leader is where she got her legitimacy from. So it it very much was, I think, very much in line with that night, that notion of doing the right work and doing what you feel and believe is right. And if I think about what it means for building and holding the work, Jack talked about only going where we're invited. So the whole piece itself, the movement building, you know, it doesn't matter what you're doing, but, you know, we talked about even this podcast being following a community's call to action, but just reiterating that all of this legitimacy sits in the context of that. Now I'm afraid to use the word solve because it's making me think about, <laughs> hey, we'll talk about that next with, with the systems, but we're not really solving stuff. We're just working on it together over time mm-hmm. to And Jack reiterated again that the answers come from community. You know, that's one of the things that I was challenging myself a little bit with 
throughout the podcast series. It's very much my bias as well. And I, you know, I often say the same words. One of the things that the series challenged me around that was, though, there were examples of startup leaders coming from different parts of the system, not only from community, that were having significant impact. And this was particularly the case in the economic social change and and in the democratic social change pieces. It was like, and a little bit in the climate stuff that Willow and Kyla talked about, it was like these people had a question or a quest or a, a drive to do something and then sat deeply in building knowledge around it. So, for example, Kyla, she is a community leader. However, in others, it's more about that they have expertise in an area and they have aligned that expertise from their part of the system to help drive that piece. So it seemed to me that legitimacy could come from any part of the system as long as the person's agenda was held true. It was about they were doing the right work and it was about what they believed they needed to do and that they had passion behind it. Does that make sense, Jim? And you're really making me think about how often we convene, I use the word community in air quotes, as the the context experts for lived experience, and that's the box they're in. And what you're what you're bringing out again, or what you're highlighting again, is that there are also situations where we're talking about expertise, like subject matter expertise. And so we really need to continuously. It's not that binary view where it's you know, say, service system and community, for example, or government service system and community. There are a lot of different lenses that we're bringing to the work, and we have to be we have to hold space for all of them and not just pigeonhole people in one or the other. And that can happen really easily and intentionally or unintentionally. You know, when I think of Kyla's offering in the podcast, she's a community leader. She talked about being a producer. She talked about comms. She talked about the incredible investigation and reading that she's done around the climate emergency. So it's that... And, and in all of those things, it's that is the platform of her legitimacy. So it's not that she is a community leader that is the legitimacy. It's not that she's a sound producer that is the legitimacy. It's not that she reads a lot. It's the combined presence of her that brings all of that stuff that means that when she talks about this, people go, Kyla's talking, we need to listen. My brain is thinking all its thoughts at once. <laughs> <laughs> Even in talking to you about it now, it's making me think about a lot of different things and how interconnected all of this is with, you know, the economics of movement building, the democracy, but then also all, all the core elements, you know, people and place and, and permission and, you know, building a shared purpose and the principles and practices we use and systems and processes and structures and how legitimacy, these elements that we're talking about now come up across all of them. Mm. And but in particular, what's playing out for me is the power of our constructs of all of this and how it gets in the way. You talked about the importance of naming up our bias as well. The last thing that we were going to, that we're going to talk about today is systems thinking and being in movement building. And this was particularly catalyzed by our chat with by your chat with Dr. Bruce McKenzie and David Lilly. What came up for you? 
oh, so much came up for me <laughs> about this. One of the key pieces, though, I think an overarching piece is, you know, we often do talk about the fact that we we are taught to be solution focused and that we were taught that if you get all of the information and all of the data, you can come up with solutions. And David very much talked about, you know, we get taught how to do this in a mechanistic way. And then people move on to thinking about an ecological system, which I actually do quite a lot myself. You know, that notion of that the whole system is interdependent, that the relationships are important, and that if you took out one part of that system, you would, by its very nature, change the whole system. And David added a layer about thinking about the social systems on top of that. So thinking about things like politics, thinking about things like bias, thinking about things like our preferences. And I just thought that his unpacking of systems thinking in that way just was so clear and so beautiful and was a great way for people to see how they need to move towards that more social construct for systems thinking. I felt like that. I feel like I, I want to say to everyone, just go listen to that podcast again. <laughs> underpinned everything we've been talking about today and the whole series, that that notion of even challenging our thinking, our understanding of systems thinking. You know, David talked about systems language, systems thinking being part of systems language, systems practice, and being systemic overall. One of the things that struck me was Bruce talking about reminding us again that all of this exists in the context of complexity, which I know we know in our head, we know when we do it, but to just step back for a moment and think about it is a bit breathtaking because he spoke about, you know, we have a complex issue and we think we've got a solution or like a way forward. And so we put the issue away and say, we're done with it. We've moved on. We're on, we're on track. We're doing that. But what systems thinking is revealing to us is that we can never finish with complexity as long as this complex issue was part of our part of our environment and our circumstances. It'll always be there. And so our task is never to take it off the agenda, but rather to keep sweeping in information about it and knowledge and looking for new and emerging ideas to allow us to continuously improve. So it's never done. But to hold that in the holding of the work itself and in our in our mindset and our practice has really massive implications for how we step into things like, you know, outcomes-based planning or measurement of progress, all the things that are really important, gathering data, because it's, you know, what I took from that is we we so often run the risk of stepping back into a small box when we're playing in a big one. Mm, absolutely. And I think Bruce captured this and it sat in other podcasts as well but I think his language really captured it when he said you know we start from I don't know and we don't know and we will never know I love that and and that was from like Willow said that you know we can live in a broken system while working towards a new one and so we're just that to me was was mirroring that we're just sitting in it and Kylo that's where she was talking about the story we're building we're back to the narrative it's not a traditional narrative either because it goes to how we build the story the, the collective narrative, the shared understanding, and and say using things like data to tell the story. It's not a traditional story with a hero and a villain. Change is achieved through a coalition of everyone. Mm, 
Absolutely beautiful. Absolutely. And it really, you're making me think too that although these are quite big and it can seem insurmountable because you're constantly working on it and you're never getting there, what was a real gift, I think, from David and Bruce as well as Kyla and Max is that you can start small and you can start playing with this outside of your work. I think it was Bruce who said, you can think about dinner tonight and how you're going to do dinner tonight and apply and use some of your system thinking practice to to think about dinner. So if I'm doing dinner tonight, what does dinner need to include so that dad enjoys dinner? What needs to be included tonight so that mum enjoys dinner? So I thought that that sort of having a play and having a practice in a safe environment and that that notion of starting small, I think were great gifts through the podcast as well. And you've, I feel like you've brought it all the way back to the start or the reminder of the core of all of this, which is all of this work is practice. It is a practice that we are practicing and learning in real time. And as we've gone on the journey of this podcast, we've learned in real time. And even sitting back and listening to all of them again and again, and then again, new learning comes from that all the time and gives us an opportunity to reflect on our practice and what it means, in particular for us at Clarion Call about how we support the building and holding of collective action. Mm. And to think of every cause as the noble cause. Yes. That notion that that we've learned throughout this and that that noble cause needs to be held safely and with a light touch. I feel like after all of this, we've, um, I feel like we've made a mess and I'm really happy in it. But like, you know, we've dumped the chest of drawers out on the floor and we're sitting on the great big pile of clothes going, oh, isn't this interesting? It's really been an incredible gift to to sit with these incredibly wise and generous people to explore these topics with us for, for I want to say that in Kyle's words, the benefit of everyone. <laughs> mm, mm. Yes, no, it's beautiful. I think, I think you're right too, Jen, that it's, Today we've very much looked at four uh, meta themes. You know, it's it's four large themes that we've pulled out of the work. So you know, we've very much looked at the economy of movement building, democracy of movement building, the legitimacy, and then the systems thinking and thinking and being in movement building. And you can continue to peel the onion. Every time we go back, there are different pieces or different things that we can pull out. These are not the only things. These are not the only things that that sit in the podcast. These are sort of like the four big takeouts that, that we're sitting with at the moment. What we'd like to do next, therefore, is to look at the work across the podcast and to peel that next layer of onion and say, okay, then, how does this sit in the Clarion Framework for Collective Action and Governance so that we can analyse and look at the podcast content in terms of the people that need to be included, the place, the purpose, the permission, the practice, and how that's showing up in our structures, our processes, 
our mindsets and power. And we're actually going to lean into that through a blog because that's actually going to take a level of detail the next level down. And then as you said earlier, Jen, how we'll wind this all up is in the introduction to our next podcast where we will announce the new theme for our podcasts where we'll wrap this up and introduce our new theme. So, Jen, as we're finishing up today, is there any one piece that you would really like to get out that you didn't get a chance to say today? Or what's your final comment for our session today? I think my final comment comes back to the bit about embracing the mess. That to me, it's so easy to be comfortable in a small box where we we default to what we know. And I find that for myself and to get a chance to sit in the big box and really embrace what all of that means and enjoy the thinking and looking at the implications for my practice, our practice and what we do going forward. That I think is really grateful for that opportunity. What about you? Beautiful. For me, I think that my expertise in this area is only as solid as my next aha moment. It's like I can feel that I am getting, a, I have deep experience and I'm developing deep knowledge in this how to do movements for social change and how to support others. And then I lean into what I don't know or I come across something that is a mind-blowing new piece of information. And so for me, it's also really humbling around all that is yet to learn in this area. Glad to be doing it with you, Sharon. <laughs> Likewise, Jen. Uh, well, enjoy the rest of your night. Thank you and thanks, everyone. We look forward to catching you on the flip side in our next podcast series soon to be announced. Thank you very much.